0: Well, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. Welcome to worship today. I'm so glad that you are here worshiping with us. And we want to begin our service today with a call to worship. And so I want to invite you right now. We're going to take a posture of worship. But would you stand together? I want you to close your eyes with me, and we're going to pray to the Lord. And if you feel comfortable with this, just extend your hands out in front of you and turn your palms facing up. And this is just an act of our physical body to say, God, we wanna receive what you have for us today. And we're gonna pray and you can pray as I pray. But Lord, we just want to know uh, in our hearts that we are here for you. God, we want you to fill this place with the power of your presence. We know your prayer presence is already here, but Lord, we want to see your power and moving in our hearts and our lives. Lord, as we come to worship you, to come to sing your praise, to say the word of God, to hear the word of God preached, and Lord, to be affirmed and encouraged to go out and live. Lord, we say we want everything that you have prepared for each person here today. It is not by mistake that anybody is here today, Lord. You have intentionally called who is in this room right now for what you want. And so Lord, I pray that we as a church body would just be open and soft and receptive to what you have for us, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we're gonna start by reading a word together and I wanna invite you, the, the words are gonna be on the screen, would you say this together with me? This is Psalm 95, one through three. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let's enter in his presence with thanksgiving, Let's shout triumphantly to him in song, for the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. Amen. Let's get our hands together and let's worship the Lord. Be seated.
1: Came up a little too fast. We're in church. We should be excited. Amen, amen. Good morning, CBC. Grace and peace to all of y'all here today. And to all of you watching online, it's a privilege to worship a great God together. My name is Jonathan Chang, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at CBC. And I just wanted to say you are so welcome here. Wherever you are in your journey of becoming more like Jesus, we want you to know that you are welcome here. If this is your first time here or you are new to CBC, if you look on the back of the pews, there is a QR code that you can scan or take a picture of and it will bring up a form and through that, you can get whatever information you might need to help you learn more about CBC and we encourage you to do that. Here at CBC, we place an emphasis on four things. Number one, we gather together. We gather together as a church family on a regular basis. Number two, we grow together. We connect and grow with others in our small groups on a regular basis. Number three, we go together. We look to take the message and hope of Jesus wherever we are on a regular basis. Number four, we serve together. We strengthen our church family using our gifts and talents in order to serve one another on a regular basis. And if you are wanting to know about these four emphases even more, we have kiosks out in the foyer that can give you information. Next thing we do, we are beginning our CBC 101 class. Because if you are wanting to learn more about our church, to understand how we desire into living into God's will as a church family, this is the place to go. And it begins today at the 11 o'clock hour. Well, I'm in here. Guess what? You can go next week when it continues. If you are interested in joining the class or being a participant to learn more about what CBC is, who we are, and how you can engage fully into this church family, you can either go and register online or you can just call the church office. And if you still want to just go, you can just show up. It's okay. Okay. Today, my friend Pastor Dave Munsinger is going to be bringing us a message from John about an encounter a woman had with Jesus at the well. And we're going to learn how Jesus knows us through this story. And next week, we will begin a six-week series entitled Lessons from the Last Supper. And we will see how Jesus interacted with his disciples up until his crucifixion and resurrection in the book of John. And my good friend, also Jeremy Little, one of the teachers we have here at CBC, will lead us through this series. But right now I want to pray as we continue to worship our Lord. Father, thank you so much for this morning that we can gather as a church family to worship you because you are worthy of all praise. Lord, I pray for Dave. I pray that your spirit will flow through him and that the words that come out of him are your words and that our church family, for those here and watching online, will be encouraged and and excited to continue journeying in their faith, to live out their faith because your son does know us. And so, Lord, I pray that our lives be changed. Father, our lives, I pray, are always changed when we come, after we come to church. Father, I pray right now specifically also for what's going on between Russia and Ukraine. Lord, we know that you cause all things to work together for those that love you. So Father, right now we pray for the church in Ukraine, for the church in Russia, for those that are torn and just wanna see your name proclaimed. Father, we pray for not just those churches but for the churches around the world to rise up and to support one another. And Lord, we celebrate right now for those who are gonna come to saving faith because of what is going on. And so, Lord, may we persevere together and choose to focus on your goodness in all things. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you, Pastor Chang. Church, how many of you remember that old song? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Any little raise of hands. Okay, more than I thought. Okay, that's good. We're not going to sing that this morning. But I was thinking about that this that song, uh, just as um, Pastor Chang was uh, sharing all that God is doing here. And I always wanna to remember to count our blessings. I think that's important to remember how God has blessed us. In fact, there's some scripture in Psalms that reminds us to do this but you have also got an incredible group of pastors and even some lay people who have been preaching the word of God. Pastor Chang, Pastor Tony last week, Pastor Dave this week, Jeremy Little coming up in a few weeks. We just want to celebrate and thank the Lord that he has continued to provide wonderful teaching from the word of God with the people that he has called here. Can you celebrate that with me together? Let's praise God with a clap and a shout of praise. Well, I'm so glad you came to worship today. Our focus is what all these pastors have been focusing on. And even what I know today, Pastor Davis is speaking about, and that's, that's Jesus and his encounter with us. And right now we have a privilege to encounter Christ, to sing our praise to him and also identify with the truth of what we are saying, because God is worthy of all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that's how he asks us to love him. And so I just invite you when we're singing, this is one way, it's not the only way, but this is one way that we can express our love to the Lord. And let me invite you to express your love to the Lord as you sing these songs, as you identify with this truth, and as you praise God for who he is and what he has done. Would you stand together with us? Let's continue to worship and sing about God and remember that he is our victory and he fights the battle.
2: When the darkness falls, it won't prevent. The God I serve knows only how to triumph. Oh, my God, will never fail. Say that out, my God. Oh, my God, will never fail. i want to see you fail. I want to see a victory for the battle.
3: to
0: trust in that last verse, just remembering, it says, I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Isn't it a process that each day we figure out a little bit more that we can trust him. I just wanna invite you to close your eyes for just a moment and take a look inside because there may be some things today that God might bring up Maybe there's some areas where you're not trusting or you learn to trust, but then maybe you felt like God let you down. And we've said this before, but God's a big enough God to handle your emotions, handle your disappointments, even handle your blame. Because ultimately we, we have to believe that God is good. and that His goodness extends to us and that the things, the circumstances, the the trials, the hurts, the pains, the good, the praises, the mountaintops, the peaks, all those things work together for good, for His purpose in your life. And when you're going through those really hard times, it's so hard to remember that, but it doesn't change the truth. I heard someone say just the other day, when it's your truth, it keeps you in a place that's real comfortable in a place that you can define what the boundaries are. But when it is the truth, well, that calls you to change. That calls you to come outside of where you're in your comfort zone into a place where God might be leading you. So where in your heart are there places where you haven't fully trusted or maybe you trusted a little bit, but you took some back. I promise you, there is a faithful God that loves you, that sees exactly where you are, and that wants you to trust him with your hurts, trust him with your heart, trust him with your future. And if God's leading you right now, just take a moment and confess, Lord, here's where I'm not trusting you and I wanna trust you more. I wanna learn to trust you more. Here's where I believe, but help my unbelief.
3: to break.
0: peace, yes, peace, all the peace that we are longing for, God, would you show us your peace and your rest, a rest that we need desperately to start our work from, and Lord, we need this peace that we can't explain, that we can't understand, and we know that when we have that, it only comes from you. And it comes from us trusting, uh, us letting go and inviting you into those hurt places, those dark places, those addicted places, all the secret places in our hearts. God, we invite you into those. And Lord, we want you to have more of us. Lord, we're grateful that the day we were saved, we got all that we would ever be able to get from you. And Lord, now we've been in the process of just giving ourselves back over to you and more and more of ourselves over to you, God. So Lord, hear the cries of your people. We are so thankful for what you have done for us. And Lord, soften each of our hearts in the special places that we need to be softened to give more of ourselves to you. We love you. We praise the powerful and mighty name of Jesus. And it's in that name we pray, amen. You can be seated.
4: Well, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. It's good to be with you today. Today we're going to be taking a look at the longest dialogue Jesus has in all the Gospels with this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And the uh, sermon title, Jesus, He Knows Me, um, if you know rock music and you know the band Genesis, this is a song title from a 1992 album, We Can't Dance. And this title, this song title, I thought really applies to this passage because what we're going to see here is Jesus really does know us and he knows us well and that he is a safe place and he is a loving, gracious, kind God. And if he is this way to this woman, he is like that to all of us. And so as we take a look at this text, um, I wanted to ask an ice-breaking question for you, and if you have one of the um, bulletins, you can use this in your grow group or your Sunday school class. And the ice-breaking question is one I've asked in, in groups for many, many years. <clears throat> and as if it, the question is, if you could have dinner with a famous person, not divine and not dead, someone who's alive today, who would that person be? And I've thought about this over the years, and it's always the same person. It's the lead singer to the band U2, Bono. I find him fascinating. I love his music. He's interested in so many things. He's a Christian man. And so the question that if you ask this of people, it helps give you a little bit of insight into their personality, their affections, what they like and they don't like. And um, so uh, what we're going to find out here is the woman here at the well, she has the opportunity not just to have dinner with a famous person, but actually to have a conversation that we're still learning about, we're still reading. And she gets to be with the most famous person, the divine person, the Son of God. And so let's take a look at the text. And what we see here is Jesus had to go through Samaria, and he came to a town called Sychar, And it was near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well for it was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the H-E-B to buy food. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you for your word, we thank you for your love and compassion that You seek relationship out with us. We might think that it's man who has to go to God to be in relationship, and that's not the case at all. We're going to see here that you come to the lowest people, and that means you come to us, because you will go to anybody and everybody. And we thank you for what you teach us here in this text. pray this in Christ's name, amen. So we see here uh, from the screen is that The Jews did not like going into Samaria, and we're going to learn about why, and we'll see here that it would be an extra day or two to cross the Jordan and get to his place. Now this phrase here, Jesus had to go through Samaria, should kind of catch us a little bit by surprise, Um, and people have postulated what those reasons might be. One, he really wanted to have a divine appointment with this woman. Two, because she comes to faith, he then preaches to all the Samaritan people and proclaims that his gospel is not just for the Jews, but it's for the whole world. Or three, he had an appointment that he had to get to in Nazareth, and he didn't want to spend an extra two days. Or D, all the above. So here we see him Coming into Samaria, and we see that he's always on mission. He is always intentional. He is always purposeful in everything that he does. And so he asked this woman at noontime for a drink of water. He's parched. He's thirsty. And we are going to see Jesus here breaking through cultural barriers and gender barriers because the Samaritans were not liked people by the Jewish people. They They were the bad Jewish people. They were the 10 northern tribes. They broke apart after Solomon's reign. They had 38 bad kings. They had their own temple, their own religious rites. They only followed the five books of Moses and ignored the other 34 books of the Old Testament. You don't do things like this and live in accordance to God's holy word. And so the Jews believed that if you um, drank or ate out of the same utensils, you would be defiled by that, because what you take into you, in their view, defiles you. And Jesus teaches just the opposite of that. So anyhow, he also is talking to this woman who, as a, a rabbi, never spoke to a woman. She had no rights in court, and she had really no rights in marriage, and really no abilities to have... Any economic success outside of the house. And so he is breaking all the norms. And you can see there in the photo, uh, that's a photo from about 1870, that's actually Jacob's well. It's still there today. It's been there for 4,000 years. The water is still cold and you can draw from it. And so even in this day and age, the Samaritans had a lot of national pride. They had this pride, and you see this is Jacob's well, and it was given to him or he gave it to Joseph, his son. And so they have all of this nationalistic pride. Samarita was not a wealthy place in comparison to the Jews in the south around Jerusalem. And so they had their own pride. And, and, and so you'll see here that the woman refers to, you know, being from Samarita, and she has her own national pride. And the Jews have their own pride. And we see this stuff going on still to this day, right? People are still proud about their identities, proud about their ethnic groups, whatever it may be, and it causes barriers for relationship, it causes barriers for the gospel. And just a a humorous side note on it, um, I'm part of this spring climb sort of next door sort of thing, and so if you haven't noticed, lots of people are moving to Texas from other parts of the country, and so they're always asking, so one woman says, I'm moving from New Jersey what's something I should know about Texas before I move there? And I was like, oh, softball here. I just wrote, remember the Alamo. Adopt our way of life. So, Texas is a state of mind. So, the dialogue continues. The Samaritan woman responds to his request. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink for... Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, her response here to his kindness, he's kindly asking for water. He is clearly parched. Um, And her response is to be defensive. She is not used to anyone talking to her, let alone someone who might be a rabbi from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And a few things that we should know about this is the nature of thirst. You know, we live in a day and age where we carry around, you know, 32 ounces of water with us wherever we go. But this is a dry, arid place. People are regularly thirsty. So think about going out on a summer day in Houston and jogging five miles. You would be really thirsty. And the interesting thing about thirst is when you get dehydrated and you drink water, it actually tastes sweet. And... We see this illustration all throughout the Old Testament as the deer pants for flowing living streams, so my, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. So there's always this metaphor that as you thirst for things, you should be thirsting for the things of God, not for the waters of this life, but the water of eternal life, the water of God's presence. And so he is appealing to, to her for this, and he is saying, I am the gift of God. Yes, Jesus is God's gift to the world, and that should kind of humble you because you're not. And that's a lot of our problems in life as we go through life thinking, well, I'm God's gift to life, to this world, and everybody should kind of just like what I say and do and go along with my ways. And that gets us into a lot of trouble. But no, Jesus is saying here, I am the gift of God, but he's actually saying something much more, right? We see from Romans chapter 3, We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So salvation is a gift. Jesus is God's gift to the world. And so he is saying this, and he is saying this in a way of kind of disclosing himself. And he is making himself vulnerable. So if you're thinking, God doesn't really want to know me, and I'm not sure if I want to share thoughts and feelings with him, he, he is full disclosure. He's like, here I am. So she then responds back. She says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with the well's deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks, the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so he's he's pointing to the nature of relationship with God. Now her response here um, has moved from being defensive to really sarcastic, right? You you don't even have anything to dwell from, you know, draw the water from, and. Getting the water from this well is an arduous task. It, it's a hundred feet down. The bucket that the water gets put in, when it's full, weighs 40 pounds, and you have to pull it up that rope. So imagine pulling up that bucket, 40 pounds, a hundred feet, using a rope to do so. And so he doesn't even have a cup with him or anything. And so she's being somewhat sarcastic with him at this point. She's not really seeing him for who he really is. And notice. They've totally forgotten that he's, he's wanting water. They're just having a conversation here. And that's one of the wonderful things about this discourse. Now, when it comes to water in Israel, there's three ways that you could get water. There's a cistern, which is like a barrel that has the runoff from your roof, or maybe a pond. Well, those things can be con- contaminated, and that's the least desirable water, and you might add wine to that, so the alcohol will kill the bacteria. The second favor, the second type of water, which is this, is a well water, and this is a very good water, um, and and so that was more preferable. But still, a well could become contaminated; it, it might not be always cold. The number one preferred form of water was, you know, the water that bubbles up from a stream, flowing, running water. It doesn't become contaminated; it's pure. You know, one of the things, if you have a fountain head, a, a spring coming up out of the ground, I've known people who bought land and they wanted to put their house on that plot of land and they found out, oh, you've got a, you got a little um, stream coming up out of the ground and they've had to replace their, their home on a different part because you can't stop flowing water coming out of the ground. You can redirect it, but it won't stop. And so he is comparing this to how God's spirit is when God comes into your life, into your heart, and three chapters later in chapter 7, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, if you like the movie Water Boy, Bobby Boucher said, now that's what I call some high quality H2O. But here's the thing that Jesus is also getting at, is as human beings, we get thirsty for things, we're unsatisfied. Everyone feels what philosophers call an existential angst, that life just isn't right, it's not perfect, and i got to do something to kind of satisfy my needs. That's why we like to eat chocolate, and, and that's why we like to go on vacations. That's why we, we like to prove ourselves in the world. We've we got to satisfy ourselves. Our longings are deeper than just for food and thirst. We have a deeper longing in us. And so he's getting to this, is that the more you pursue the things of this world to satisfy that inner unsatisfaction that you have, it will only make you thirstier. That if you go after the things of this world, it will be like salt water to you. It will only drive you to be even more thirsty. And so she then responds to him this time with intrigue. She's gone from defensiveness to sarcasm now to intrigue. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, what's interesting here is she is now getting some respect from her, from him, because maybe she's thinking that he's kind of like Tony Robbins. This is like, he's some sort of self-help guru from Jerusalem, and maybe he can install some indoor plumbing into my house. You know, can you get this living water to like come into my house, and I can just have it right there, that way I don't have to do this arduous, humiliating task every day. And so he then responds to her, and he says, go and call your husband, because she's asking him for a gift now. She's asking him for this gift of water, and <clears throat> he has to be respectful, right? Because you can't just give a woman a gift without the father or the husband being present to acknowledge it. Uh, so it's kind of like that Leonard Skynyrd song, give me three steps, right? Just give me three steps towards the door, mister. Um, he was lean and mean, and he was pointing that gun at me. So you don't want to insult a man because it cannot go right. So he's, he's being respectful. And she says, and this is her shortest reply, four words, I have no husband. And this is the real pivot point in the whole dialogue, in the whole discourse, because what Jesus has done is he has put his finger on her pain. She is revealing her pain here. And he says to her, you're right, you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five. And the man you're now with is not your husband. And what you've just said is quite true. Actually, she she really told him a half-truth, didn't she? But you see that Jesus is kind. He's safe. He knows her sin. She's been trying to hide from her sin. She's been, you know, pushed away by society. And he is accepting her, even though she has this terrible sin. And in this day and age, a woman who's had so many marriages and living with a man, she is like a total immoral outcast. And so here's who she really is. Um, She's been described as being like a, a woman from South Philly. She's tough, she's brassy, she's inquisitive, she's strong. And she's been this way until now because her pain's been exposed. And people are like this. When you put your finger right on the real pain of someone's life, they shut down. They don't want to deal with it. They grow cold. And so that's why Augustine here says, In that woman, let us hear ourselves and in her acknowledge ourselves and be thankful to God. Meaning this, whether you're a man or a woman, you can identify with her. You have had heartache you've had heartbreak, you've put your trust in the wrong things of this world, and they have condemned you. She really here could be singing from Les Mis uh, Fontaine's song, I Dreamed a Dream. I dreamed a dream when life was worth living, but then life killed the dream. She is crushed by the weight of her sin and the sins of people against her. And so we are to identify with her because we see how Jesus acts towards her. He goes right to the heart of the matter. He wants to know us intimately and personally, and he accepts her. He's not surprised by her sin. He's the God of the universe. He made her. Right? And the other thing is, we love John three sixteen, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that who should ever believe in him shall have eternal life and shall not perish. Verse 17, the following verse, really applies here where it says, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. You see, Jesus isn't so worried that you've committed sins. What he's more concerned about is forgiving you of your sins. So why do you follow the pathway of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and hide from him? He already knows your sins. Why don't you just confess them and tell them to him? He's safe. Right? Jesus he knows me. Now, she then responds back to him with a non, with, with a red herring. Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Now she's complimenting him. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, believe me. The hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. So this is a red herring here, and I find this is often the case whenever I'm sharing my faith with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and we get around to the real hurt in their life, they'll shut down, they won't want to talk about it, and then they'll throw out a, a red herring. Well, you know, I don't know if I can believe in a God who allows suffering in the world. You know, why would he allow war in the Ukraine? I don't know if I can believe in, you know, that there's evil. So they throw out a red herring. They throw out, you know, a concept that no one's really gotten a real good answer to for generations. Like, yeah, I don't know about the whole, you know, if you're in England, you know, the Christianity thing, because, you know, you got this whole Northern Ireland problem, right? People do that, and that's what she's doing here. But when he says, the hour is coming, he means, and he he uses this phrase multiple times, and he'll use it again in verse 23. Whenever he says the hour is coming, he is referring to his cross. And that's where he will be the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. He will be the propitiation for us. And so it's at the cross that he's able to forgive our sins, forgive her sins, so that she can have direct relationship with God that she will then be made right in the courts of heaven. She lives in a world where she doesn't even have rights in the court of men. But because of Christ, she has rights and acceptance and righteousness in the courts of heaven. That is completely counterintuitive to everything that human beings understand. God's means of grace defy our logic. And so, as Romans 6 says, For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. So that the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too can consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. That's the flowing, living water of the divine presence of God when you have your sins forgiven and you enter into relationship with Jesus. He continues on to give us God's perspective on worship. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know because you're missing 34 books. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worship his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, here's the best way to get your head around this. Verses 21 through 24, I once preached a 30-minute sermon on it, okay? There's a lot here. So, a bridge understanding of this passage here. Most religions of the world deal with externalities, right? Burn some incense, bow to these idols, everything's external, right? Say these prayers five times a day, be liturgical. You can just skate through that, and it never affects you on the inside. Jesus is saying these temples are obsolete, God does not want them, the Father does not want them because who God is, God is both spirit and God is ultimate truth. Therefore, your worship must reflect and be reciprocal of who God is, meaning you have to worship from your spirit, your soul, the immaterial essence of your being. From deep down inside, God wants all of it. He wants your heart. He wants your mind. He wants your strength. That's the Shema from Deuteronomy 6.4. Right? And you must do that in truth. That means in honesty, not hiding your sin, not giving half-truths with him. It's being forthcoming with him. You have to be truthful. That's the kind of worship God seeks. And it's all going to be made available to us because of the hour that's coming. He's going to the cross where he is going to break down the dividing walls and we can experience forgiveness. Great quote here by Barclay that it's the immortal, invisible aspect of us, that we engage God in friendship and intimacy. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't have nice church buildings, okay? But you don't think, well, because I went to the nice church building and I said some nice liturgy and I sang some nice songs, I worship God. No, I went to church, to worship the God who is both spirit and truth, and I did so in from my spirit, from who I am from the inside, in, in vulnerability, in friendship, in, in intimacy, and I was honest before God. That's worship. The buildings and everything else only helps to foster an environment that will lead us to worship in spirit and truth. Because God does not require burnt offerings but a humble heart, a contrite spirit. So Jesus now has this last little exchange with her. The woman says, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. So see what she's doing. Okay, I really don't understand you. (laughs) You're more than a prophet. You've just explained this whole issue that's been dividing Jews and Samaritans you know i just i just need to get my water and get out of here right because you know the Messiah is going to come and he'll explain it all to us see how she continues in avoidance jesus then self discloses himself he says then the i am the, the one that you're speaking to i am he he does not hold back from who he is you see if you were coming into this world as 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 you know A foreigner to this world, and you want the world to worship you, you'd go to Rome, get Caesar to worship you, get the Pharisees to worship you, get Herod to worship you. You would be self disclosing to them because they're the power brokers. No, Jesus goes to the least of us. And what you draw from that is if he will go to the least person on this planet, he comes to you. He's knocking at the door of your heart. He is always wanting to engage you in relationship. And notice here from this whole dialogue, he is nothing but kind, caring, compassionate, sympathetic. And then the thing that we really see here is this hour that comes. He's pointing to the cross. The second to last thing our Lord says before he dies is, I thirst. And it's right before he says, it is finished. And then he gives up his spirit and he dies. You see, when he is thirsting on the cross, what he is saying is, because the sins of the world are on me, my fellowship with the Father is broken, and the living streams of divine water is not flowing into me, and I am, at, for the first time in the history of the universe, dry, empty. My cistern, my well, is dry because I am, my relationship with the Father is broken. And he did this so that you and I would never be separated from the Father in heaven. He took on the sins of the world. And so when you hide out from God and you're not being honest about your sins and your heartache and your failures and your depression and your anxieties and your frustrations, when you're hiding out like that, Jesus, he knows you. All your sins have already been placed on him. He's already died for you. Why why do you think that you, you should be hiding those negative things about your life, the things that upset you? Why are you hiding them? He already died for them. He knows them. He knows them better than you do. So why don't you talk to him about it? He's always there. And this is grace. This is the gift of God. That Jesus enters into our situation, into our humanity. And so when we leave this passage here today and we leave, we need to realize that Jesus has proven himself as the Messiah. Because when he says, I am, the Greek is ergo I mean, which is the same thing that he said to Moses in Exodus 3 up on on the mountain. He said, I am, meaning I am the God who's always existed and who always will be. And therefore, Jesus will also say, I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. Whenever he uses that phrase, I am, he's saying, I am the God who's always existed. There's no other God except for me. This is a very bold thing, but it's his true identity, and he proves it. So as we walk away, we see the impact of his grace on us. The impact of his grace is that it should go down all the way to the bottom of who we are. It should bubble up from the inside out, because the waters of God flow into us. And here's the thing. What she does afterwards, that I didn't include here, are really quite revealing. She leaves her bucket, which means she's leaving all of her ways of living behind her. And she goes into the town, and she tells the men, the men who have crushed her, she has been crushed by romances that have gone bad by bad relationships with men. She goes to them, and she's been living in shame with a scarlet letter on her all these years. She goes to them and says, come and meet a man who knows everything about me. He is the Messiah. Right? Her whole disposition and attitude towards living is completely transformed. She's drunk from his living water. She has received his grace. And when we receive his grace we're transformed. We're just not the same. And so I'd like to say to you, if you're someone who's just investigating God, you wouldn't call yourself a believer in Christ. What I would say to you is, you have probably tried out everything in this life to address your existential angst, why you're not happy, why you're not completely satisfied. Why don't you try Jesus? No, seriously. He's saying, I have living waters for you. I have grace for you. I can change you. I can give you eternal happiness because what you really want is a relationship with me. You just don't know it. So would you talk to Jesus? You can do that today. You can do that right now. He's always available. We call it prayer. And then go read John chapter 5 and then read John chapter 6. See how the dialogue with Jesus goes. And to you who are a believer, will you just rest in his grace? Will you just be reminded that he's always kind to you? That he knows that you still sin? You don't have to hide from it. You don't have to try and do good things to prove yourself to him. What he's doing is he's beckoning you, just be in relationship. As we talk to Jesus, as we get to know him every day, you know what he does? He leads us. He guides us. He fills us with his grace and that flows out of us. And allow his grace to just simply flow in your life. That's what he calls you to do each and every day. And in that, you'll find his transformation. You'll find his joy. And so as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's table, we see this other metaphor from Isaiah 55. It says, Come to me, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without price. You see, his gospel, his grace is free. He's earned it. You don't have to earn God's favor. He gives it to us. He's already earned it for us at the cross. And this is the beautiful aspect of Christianity. This is the beautiful aspect of who Jesus is. And so let us come to the Lord's table with this in mind. And as we come to his table, you have been given a cup as you entered in. And we're going to come to his table, but before we partake, we're going to follow the advice of Paul. We're going to confess our sins, right? He doesn't beat us up for our sins, but he wants us to confess our sins to him. And I have a prayer here that you I'll read out loud, and you can say it out loud with me if you're comfortable with that. If you're not, you can say it quietly as I read it out loud. Or you can confess your sins in your own way privately, as you see fit but you'll see that this is a beautiful prayer that that leads us to have a contrite heart before the lord most merciful father we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone we have not loved you with our whole heart we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves we are truly sorrowful for our many sins, and we humbly repent. We ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. As we confess our sins, we come to the table knowing that it's a table of grace. And so, Hear now the words of institution. And before you hear the words of institution, let's peel back the top layer and hold the bread. And let's just all hold it together as you hear the words of institution read. And we will partake at the end of the reading together. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. in the same way, peel back the next layer and we'll partake of the wine together, remembering that it was his blood that was shed that gives us eternal life. Let us take and drink to his victory at Calvary. Dear Jesus, we just thank you that you went to the cross on our behalf and that as we partake of your bread, partake of your blood, your body and your blood, Lord, here with these elements, we are reminded what it cost you. And we thank you that your salvation is sweet. Just like the juice that we drank, it is sweet. We thank you that you have given us such sweet relationship with you, that it satisfies us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>
0: What the mercy of God can do if you knew me then you'd believe me now He turned my whole life upside down to the old and he made it new That's just what the mercy of God Can do. Now I'm alive to tell the story how I've overcome. It's His goodness and mercy and the power of the blood. I'm so glad that my freedom wasn't based on what I've done, but the goodness and mercy. And the power of the blood
4: As you depart today, remember that question, who's the famous person you'd like to have dinner with? Jesus offers something so much better. You can have relationship with him continuously. And he has all the answers to your deepest problems in life. And we can see here from the passage, he's a great conversationalist. Why would you not want to be in constant conversation with the Lord Jesus? So hear now the benediction. May the love of God the Father And the grace of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, be with you today and forevermore.